for me, the transferable skill that I learned from sport, whenever I was faced with that sort of paralysis, is to think of what's the first little step you can do, right? Mm. So sometimes paralysis to me and that anxiety and the imposter syndrome is all about the outcome. Sport, you can't afford in the middle of a battle to be thinking about the outcome. You've got to go back to your process. This is Brian Clark from Copyblogger, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hey, this is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights Podcast. Welcome to episode 162. Today we have a very special guest, Liz Ellis, who's a very accomplished athlete and a media presenter. A little known fact about her is that she worked for five years as a lawyer. And today we're going to hear from her about how she faced and overcame various mindset issues, including the imposter syndrome, and how she continues to use those strategies to this day. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Premium Productivity Course, which you can check out by going to www.premiumproductivity.com. Now here's Liz Ellis. Mindset for business success. That's what we're here to talk about today. And with us, we have a very successful and wonderful individual, Liz Ellis. Liz Ellis is one of the most respected names in netball with a remarkable 18-year elite career, including two Commonwealth gold medals, three world championships, four National League titles, four Most Valuable Player awards, and an Australian record of 122 test matches played. In 2009, Liz became member of the Order of Australia in the Australia Day Honours for services to netball and the encouragement of women in sport and to the community through support for a range of charitable organizations. Liz is also an experienced broadcaster and media personality, hosting and commentating on netball and other sports and appearing on radio and television as a sports expert and personality. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Liz Ellis. Welcome, Liz. Hi, Ash. Lovely to have you, Liz. Now, Liz, you've accomplished a lot in your life. You've had a very successful career, first in sports and more recently in business, and based on a recent conversation we had with one of our common friends in your personal life too, you've had to overcome some considerable challenges to achieve everything you've achieved. So would you like to share with our listeners how important a role mindset has played in your success in these three areas? Absolutely. Look, it's funny. I think mindset is one of those things that has governed my success completely, but I I never really called it mindset until my little girl started school. And at her school, they teach them from kindergarten onwards about a growth mindset, about mm-hmm. how failure is not failure. It's actually an opportunity to learn. And when I started to think about this, I thought that it was something that I had applied to my whole life without actually putting words to it. So mm-hmm. for me, your mind is such a powerful weapon and a powerful tool. And you might look at an athlete and think that your body is the most powerful thing you have, but I have always believed that your mind is. And for me, failure has never been a reason to stop. It's always been a reason to find a different way. And I learned that really early. You know, I learned that mm. if you accept failure 
as something that means the end, then you're going to go nowhere. And I missed out on selection in my local rep team when I was 11. So Mm -hmm. I was trialling for the Hawkesbury under-12s rep team. I grew up in Western Sydney and I missed selection. And, you know, I had a a really honest conversation with my mum and she said, you know, did you turn up prepared? Mm. Were you ready? And when I was honest with myself, I knew that I wasn't. And that was the moment that I thought, you know, preparation, being strong in your mind, doing everything that you can beforehand is so integral to success. And really that lesson that I learnt when I was 11 still holds me in good stead now that I'm 45. Right. Well, would you say that was a turning point? That was what flicked the switch for you? It was one of the things that flicked the switch. And, you know, my personality has always been I'm much better when I'm an underdog or when someone's critical of me. I'm a Good counterpuncher, and that's probably why I played goalkeeper <laughs> okay. rather than goal shooter. So, you know, I learned through the course of my career that, that that is what sort of got me going. Finding someone, finding a comment that that was there, that I felt was disrespectful to me, or you know, looking at an opponent and if they had said something negative about me. So, I actually used to go looking for that sort of stuff, you know, because I knew <laughs> that it fired me up. So. I think if you understand what spins your wheels and what gets you going, that's half of mm. that's half of the battle. So as soon as I sort of started to realise that and understand that, I actually I knew what my triggers were, so I could go looking for them. Right. Now I've come a lot further than I used to be in terms of mindset, but one of the biggest challenges I've found is I tend to second guess myself a lot. I have what they call imposter syndrome in the online world, where you tend to ask yourself, well, who am I to assume the role of expert in this particular area, even though you may have a lot of experience or qualifications in the area. Have you ever faced that challenge and how have you overcome that if, if you have? I think lots of people experience imposter syndrome and, and imposter syndrome is one of those things that I think is probably a bit good because it makes you continually evaluate where you're at. So for me, I don't mind that sense of the imposter syndrome. I don't feel it around the, the netball stuff that I do. So I act as an expert for Channel 9, for example, in the commentary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I figure I'm the most capped Australian netballer ever, so I'm probably okay for that <laughs> expert role. But, you know, I used to feel that when I was a – I used to be a solicitor and, you know, oh, okay. I, was, I was a solicitor for five years and I suffered dreadfully from imposter syndrome. Right. Whereas now I look back and I think I was actually quite good. You know, I joked that I didn't love it and I wasn't great. I certainly wasn't the best solicitor in the firm. I was in a very mm-hmm. large firm. But – I think you doubt yourself. And for me, I guess about what I've learned now is that it's okay to doubt yourself. I don't think, I think if you, the moment you stop feeling or you stop reflecting on whether you're good enough or doing a good job is probably the moment you stop growing. So, you know, that imposter syndrome or even when I was playing, I used to, before a big game, I sometimes used to think to myself, what am I doing this to myself for? Why am I here? You know, you'd have this, and I'm sure it's mm. a really primitive thing before a massive fight that you think mm. I could still run away from this. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's my lizard brain talking to me. Come That's on, it. Run away, we could go. And then at the end of the game, you'd be so high and full of euphoria, you'd think what a stupid thing for your brain to do to you. But, you know, I actually learned through the course of my career to embrace that, to embrace the fear of performance. And I knew if I wasn't, fearful that I would actually not play very well because I didn't have that adrenaline running through my system. So, you know, for me, it's a, a having that imposter syndrome, being 
a bit uncertain about whether you're doing the right thing, I think is a good thing because it gives you that little shot of adrenaline and it makes you actually assess and reassess where you're at and if you're doing the right thing. And I think questioning yourself is a really good thing. So I would say, I guess, with the knowledge of the benefit of hindsight is Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to shy away from it. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you're being Mm -hmm. stupid in terms of wondering whether you're good (laughs) enough, but also acknowledge that perhaps it's a good time to ask some questions about your performance. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with you on that point. It's very good to have that humility, for want of a better term, because imposter Mm. syndrome, as you said, get you to check yourself. And the minute you think you're the best on top of the world, that's when you stop growing and that's when you're the risk of falling in a heap. However, in some cases, the imposter syndrome can be quite paralyzing. Yes. And, you know, you feel like just in case you're not good enough or just in case you're not brilliant at it. I mean, I'm a CPA myself, but I always question myself, like, you know, Am I the best authority to give business advice, even though I do have a stamp that says that I can? There are some people that face that challenge, and you mentioned you face that as a solicitor. How did you deal with that? Did you find it paralyzed you at all? Yes, and I think it's very easy to get paralyzed by that sort of thing because you spend so much time second-guessing yourself, you forget to take the first step. So for me, it was all about taking the next step. And that paralysis used to happen to me before a game. You know, I'd be like, oh, my God. What if like, everyone thinks I'm the best goalkeeper in the world? What if I'm not? What if I get out there and I struggle? Like nothing about my preparation indicated that I was going to struggle. Right. So what my sport taught me, and I, I found this such a transferable skill for my life. You know, I have a, I do a lot of keynote speaking. Before mm-hmm. every keynote speech, I have <laughs> a couple of hours thinking, I'm going to suck at this. This is going to be really bad. <laughs> You know, and, I know that feeling. Yeah, and you know, I've hosted radio, and before I, before every, I get up every morning when I was hosting radio over summer. You know, I used to, I used, to, I still do. I fill in on ABC local radio, and every morning I get up and be like, oh, what if, oh, what if I've got nothing to talk about? My husband right. laughs at me. He thinks it's <laughs> terribly funny that I have this paralysis, that I have this moment of just unbearable. Oh my god, what if I'm not good enough? Right? Yeah, and well, I it's easy for the, him to laugh. He's not showing up on the radio, is he? No, exactly. He's, <laughs> you know, he's a farmer. You know, his right. goes on. and But anyway, we won't talk, get into his anxieties. This is not about him. You'll have to interview him, Ash. But for me, the transferable skill that I learned from sport, whenever I was faced with that sort of paralysis, is to think of what's the first little step you can do, right? Mm. So sometimes paralysis to me and that anxiety and the imposter syndrome is all about the outcome. Yes, yes. In sport, you can't, aff- you can't afford in the middle of a battle be thinking about the outcome you've got to go back to your process right so for me when I was playing I'd have these I mean the, the concrete example is I'd be about to run on court and think oh my god what if I don't perform to the expectation that this sellout crowd of 10,000 people is expecting me to perform and I've got nowhere to hide because I'm in a little yellow lycra dress right so that's that's mm. your imposter paralysis yes so for me the, the first thing is you get on court and I used to pitter patter my feet move my feet really fast on the spot yep right and then the whistle goes and I contest the first pass to the goal shooter. So that's And then that's my process. And then you're in the game and then you go on with it. So when I was at work, if I had this oh, my God moment, I'd think, okay, what's the very first thing that I can do? I'll, if I'm analysing an issue, I'll find the first issue within the problem and then I'll find the law that applies to that and I'll apply it and I'll write my first sentence of my letter of advice. I love it. No, I was going to say, it's just a physical step. Once you get into it, then you're into it. You're off and you're rolling. That is a really big action point I want to bring out to our listeners. I am all about actionable content because I believe there's no point in having a podcast if you can't make a difference in people's lives. And 
I think the action step for me from what you just said is take the first step. Mm. It doesn't matter how small it is. And to that end, I've got to say, just last night, I was watching this particular TEDx talk by a guy called Stephen Dunier, spelled D-U-N-E-I-E-R, and I'll link to this in the show notes. And the title of the TEDx talk is How to Achieve Your Most Ambitious Goals. And this guy talks about exactly this strategy, about making incremental tiny steps in terms of process. And he went on to do some incredible amount of crocheting and knitting, and he ended up in the Guinness Book of Records. And he talks about how he got rejected multiple times. And this guy is a hedge fund manager or something. He explained beautifully how if you want to become fit, for example, it starts with deciding to get off the couch. And whether or not you're going to run your 14th or your 15th mile while you're on the treadmill of the gym, well, that decision doesn't happen if you don't make the first decision about getting off the couch. And I really love what you said about pitter-pattering your feet to just get the blood flowing. And I I used to play a lot of sport when I was younger. That is exactly how you get started. You just run on the spot and you don't feel like playing every time. You don't feel warmed up, but that's how you warm up and you get into the state. Yeah. And, you know, we had a psychologist. I didn't go much on sports psychology. I was a bit, I don't know, I used to think it was a bit sort of hocus pocus, which, <laughs> you know, but some people really loved it. But we, we actually have one sports psychologist who I really liked and he used to talk about our physical flags and he said to us, you know, the first time he did this with us, he said, what, what behaviours do you exhibit when you're playing well? So, for example, for me, when I was playing well, I'd be up and about and I'd be walking up to the transverse line and talking and, yeah. you know, so he was like, right, so that's that's what you exhibit when you're playing well. Why don't you trick your body into playing well? So mm. if, you're not, if you're not playing well, still exhibit those behaviours and yes. your body starts to go, oh, I'm playing well, and your performance improves because your body is used to doing certain things when you're exhibiting these behaviours. So I thought that was a great way to flip it on its head. Yes. And, you know, if you're looking for your your, your flags Pick something simple, and the simpler the better. If you're looking for your for, for your processes that you take, anytime you're about to do something that scares the daylights out of you, make it simple. Don't think yes. it's going to be anything sort of complicated or high tech. The simpler the better. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, if you want to go to the gym, then just wear your shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great start. And yep. just commit to doing that and then reassess at the end of it, just so that you don't feel like you're pulling one of yourself. Maybe sometimes you say, okay, I'm going to put my shoes on and now I've reassessed, I'm not going to go to the gym. And that's okay. You do it with awareness, but at least you don't feel like you never stepped up to the plate, as it were. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, your brain is a powerful thing, but it's able to be trained and it's also able to be tricked. And you can tr- do the tricking yourself. So I really also loved what you said about tricking your mind with your body. And I don't remember where I read this or saw some content around this, but I've seen people talk about this before, where when you start to act as if, then your mindset starts to change. So in other words, it's not just your mindset that directs your behavior. Some cases, your behavior shapes your mindset. That's a very interesting point. However, I would caution people from the other extreme version of fake it till you make it, which I'm a little bit skeptical about. And that is in situations where, you know, you know, you're clueless, you know, you're not prepared, but you just act as if you're going to be able to deliver that result. And you end up hurting yourself and or somebody else in the process by making promises you can't keep. 
Well, I think that's about tricking externally, isn't it? Like if you're faking it till you make it, you're actually projecting this idea that that you're actually quite competent, but inside you know that you're not. And I think that's about tricking people outside. What you're trying to do with our conversations is to trick yourself. Yes. Not tricking yourself or convincing yourself that you're successful or that you can do something when you clearly know you can't. It's actually about tricking yourself to take the first step or convincing yourself to take the first step. It's it's far more internal. I really like that. And I just wanted to bring that out because I'm super conscious about not giving the wrong message. I really like that distinction you made where you say you fake it till you make it only as far as you're concerned to elicit a certain behavior from Mm. yourself. But it's not about pulling the wool over other people's eyes. It's not about positioning yourself as something that you're not. I mean, we're definitely not endorsing that. No, exactly. So what you're trying to do is actually convince yourself that you can do what you're trained to do. Yes. And that's what the imposter syndrome is about. You've done all the training, you've done all of the practical experience, yet you still question yourself. And I think that's where we fall down sometimes. Yeah. And that's the other key point I wanted to draw out. I know that when you spoke about a little story you shared when you were 11 years old with your mum, she said to you, well, Liz, were you fully prepared? Did you do all the work? And Mm. I think that's the other key, isn't it? If you know you've done the preparation, then you have almost earned the right to act as if you are going to be successful because you've put in the hard yards. If, however, you haven't done any work and you're going to pretend that you're capable of doing it when you know in your heart of hearts you haven't done the work, then don't kid yourself and don't kid other people. We're talking about doing the work and then overcoming the imposter syndrome by making your body trick your mind, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Now, Liz, just moving on to another angle, you recently have written a book which has Mm -hmm. talked about one of your personal journeys, which also has required a lot of mental resilience. Would you like to talk a little bit about that journey and that book? Yeah, my husband and I, well, we've got two kids now and we had our first kid quite easy, a little girl. And and then we thought, right, well, this is pretty simple. You just, you know, conceive your kids and off you go. But unfortunately, our second child was not so easy to come by and we faced secondary infertility and we had treatment for that for almost five years before our little mm-hmm. boy came along. So we went through the entire roller coaster of diagnosis, of treatment, of failure, of repeated failure. And when we got to the end, we ha- decided to stop treatment and accept the fact that we're only going to have one child. Right. We thought that we were focusing on the baby that we didn't have and losing focus on the little girl that we did have. So right. we felt that that was you know, unfair to her. So we stopped trying. And then about three months later, I fell pregnant the old fashioned way. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and then we've got our little boy who, true wow, to one the, of each. Well, true to the way in which he came into the world, he does what he wants when he wants in his <laughs> own time. <laughs> but I got to the end and I thought the whole way through infertility treatment, I was so frustrated because I felt that. I didn't have a framework to hang the information that we were given off. I didn't have a way to strategize. When I was a player, when I was an athlete, and then even in retirement when I moved into my media career, I've always I've always been someone who who works to a strategy, who works to a plan. I'm a I'm a massive planner. I plan, you know, I plan everything. I, I know in three days' time what I'm going to have for dinner. I, I plan wow. that meticulously, which drives my husband insane. <laughs> but again, that's that's another conversation. Whereas you go to infertility treatment, you can't plan anything. You can't plan your life. You can't plan your treatment because oh, you just yeah. can't. You know, the whole thing, I felt 
for nearly five years, I felt like I was walking blindfolded through a snowstorm, but trying to find something that was white. Right. So <laughs> I love the analogy. Yeah. Well, it's this level of confusion and sure you're missing something, but you don't know exactly what it is you should be looking for. Mm. And it's awful. And I got to the end and when I look back, I actually thought, you know what, you actually can strategize through this process. There is a way to do it. There's a way to plan. It's not perfect, but I reckon you can do it. So I thought, I've got this papers and information and pamphlets sitting on my desk. I could either recycle it or I could look, go through it again and see how it could fall to perhaps provide advice to people who are about to go through the same process. Mm-hmm. So I thought, right, I'm going to write a book about infertility. I'm going to use my story to hang everything off and Mm -hmm. I got myself a book deal with Pan McMillan and very early on I had a really interesting conversation with a woman who said you know what first the first thing you have to do is get past your own story and it was such a great piece of advice because it made me sit back and think you know what there are any number of ways to experience infertility I have to be include more information more stories more people in this so I had a, it took me nearly a year to write it and it nearly killed me because my son, my two-year-old, wasn't sleeping through the night. So, oh you know, the irony of that was, wasn't was lost on me. Mm. I'll try to write a book about infertility <laughs> and I'm sleeping deprived from my child. Um, but I actually felt that a lot of the lessons that I took out of my sporting career were useless to me through the infertility treatment process. Things like, you know, when things aren't going your way or when you're well, the, the, the first thing about it is when you're an athlete, you've got a very finite deadline. You know when your competition is, you know when your World Cup is, that's what you work towards. Mm-hmm. You don't have that in infertility. You don't know when the Correct. hell you're going to if at all. So you don't, you, it's like training for a World Cup that might not take place. You just yes. wouldn't do it. So that's the first thing about infertility. The second thing is when you're an athlete, you, I was so used to my body doing what I wanted it to do that it was quite confronting when it wouldn't, no matter what I did. And mm. the third thing is, is that when you're an athlete, if you're not fit enough, you go and work harder and get fitter. Mm. When you're infertile, (laughs) if you're not fertile enough, you can't work harder, you can't punish your body, you can't, you know, take twice as many drugs. So you have to learn the opposite, which is to be kind to yourself. But the thing that I took from my athletic career into my infertility was resilience, was Mm. the fact that if your cycle fails, then you have to spend some time looking after your body and then get up and go again. But at some point, you have to be very honest in your assessment of your body and say, this is not going to happen. So there are some things that were really useful to me through my infertility sort of journey from my time as an athlete. And there were some things that were just I, that were useless. So there were good things and bad things. But the thing that got me through the whole process was my mental, was my, my mindset. And I had to learn a different mindset for infertility to deal with the open-endedness of it. I also found that I was probably a lot stronger than I thought I was, to be honest. It sounds to me like you had to do a lot of letting go. I happen to be married to somebody who's an incredible planner as well, and it is very difficult for people who are very good at planning. She too struggles when things don't fall exactly into line according to plan and where hard work doesn't solve the problem. You and my husband should have a beer sometime and enjoy (laughs) (laughs) wives and their type A personality. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, that's what makes her incredibly good at a job. What is really difficult and quite deceptive on the face of it is letting go. Letting go sounds like a very passive thing, but actually you have to be very proactive when you want to let go. You have to make a choice 
to not let these things beat you and you have to make a choice to stay calm and detached from a situation that you cannot control. And staying calm for me took a lot of work and I did do a lot. I did come to meditation and I wish I had found meditation while I was playing. It would have made me, I think, a much nicer person to be around when I was an athlete, <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness. And it would have actually helped me with performance issues and anxiety and that imposter syndrome. It would have made me a lot calmer about my approach to things. So, But you're right, I had to be proactive about letting go. I had to be proactive about about surrendering. I had to learn to do that. And, mm. you know, through my research, I discovered that the people who are better at letting go are actually tend to have better outcomes with IVF treatment. Okay. So, you know, if you're someone who gets wound up about not being able to control an outcome, then IVF treatment is actually going to take you longer to be successful. Mm. And if you are someone who is able to just roll with it and can take steps to do that, you're more, you're more likely to be successful because stress is something that inhibits the success of IVF treatment. So, you know, really, it's amazing, isn't it, that something so basic as as procreation, your mindset has mm. a huge to play. Yeah, absolutely. I think that so often we associate letting go with you know this passive stance. It's anything but really. You really have to be very mentally strong and resilient and flexible to be able to let go of those things that you can't control to be able to get to the result that you want to get to, which in the case of IVF is a baby. Yeah, and it takes time and it takes practice. It's not something that you can just do. Yeah. Now, in terms of meditation, I don't know if you've ever done the 10-day Vipassana meditation course, which you can do in the Blue Mountains in Sydney, Australia, and probably in many other cities, but I've done it and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. But it was a very valuable experience. You don't speak for nine of the 10 days and you meditate for about 12 to 14 hours a day and you are not allowed to take any books in with you, any reading materials, nothing, no stimulus whatsoever. You're just sitting there with yourself and you have to face yourself. So Ew. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but it really separates the women from the girls and the men from the boys, I'll tell you that. Oh, I can understand that. But no, look, really, my meditation, I simply just downloaded some guided meditations off YouTube. So yeah. like it can be that simple. You know, you, you can go and sure. do that full 10-day course and get right into it. But don't. I don't want people to feel like that's your only option. True. You know what? I had this conversation last week. I'm mentoring an athlete, a leader in, a, in another Australian sporting team, and I said to him, I think you need to meditate. And he was like, oh, God, how do I start? And I said, no, no, don't that add to your anxieties. Go to YouTube, search for guided meditations. There's a thousand of them on there. Some of them are about lining up your chakras. If you like that thing, mm -hmm. go for that. Do a couple, you'll find something. There's a brilliant app called The Smiling Mind that mm -hmm. has all sorts of med guided meditations that are about seven to 12 minutes long. And I actually use the kids' ones for my little girl. Yeah. So it can be something that's really simple that takes you 10 minutes a day that you can use your smartphone to help you with. Or yeah, you can go to somewhere, you can go to the Blue Mountains, you can go to Bali, you can go to India, you can go somewhere and do like the full-on massive immersion. You know, I think meditation is one of those things that's incredibly accessible. You can go and do a 10-day retreat and then if you don't have a daily meditation practice, you might as well not have done that 10-day retreat. Yes. You're better off doing one minute a day for 10 years than one 10-day retreat and then not doing anything for the remainder of the time. So consistency and to some degree frequency is important. The other thing I want to mention is mindfulness 
to me is meditation in action. And I've now been practicing it for several years. I often talk about it on the podcast. I've even built a course around mindful productivity called Premium Productivity, which you can access at premiumproductivity.com. The idea is to be able to use your breath both as a barometer and a tool to regulate your mind. So when you breathe deeply and slowly, it tends to create a more calmer mindset and you tend to be more proactive and less reactive. And when you breathe fast and shallow, you tend to be in more of a reactive mode. But the interesting thing is, if you notice that your breath is fast and shallow, then you can probably be quite sure that you're being fairly reactive. And then you can use that same breath, which is that barometer telling you that you're being reactive, to then slow your breath down, take a few deep breaths, and you become a little bit more self-aware, and then you become a little bit more intelligent in your decisions and your actions. Mm. So that's a useful tool for someone listening. So look, we've had some great insights in this. I just want to try and wrap it up and bring out some of the key points, and then we'll talk a little bit more about where listeners can find out more about you and your book. So we talked about the importance of taking the first step. We talked about the importance of tricking your mind into taking action. And that often means in a sporting analogy to pitter patter your feet around on the court to get into the flow. But that assumes that you have done the preparation. And so to that degree, you can fake it to yourself to make it but you still have had to have done the work. We talked about the importance of planning. However, planning doesn't always work out in your favor, so you need to be flexible. And if you're one of these type A's who feels that they can plan their way out of anything, well, nature has got news for you. That brings us to a very important point, which is resilience and mindset, and mindset not being a rigid mindset, but rather a mindset that is adaptive, that is open, that is able to roll with the punches, as it were, and you can develop that mindset over time by practicing patience, meditation, mindfulness. You mentioned a pretty good app called The Smiling Mind. I've also discovered an app called Budify, spelled B-U-D-D-H-I-F-Y, which has mindfulness exercises, and you can download it on the iOS store. I don't know if it's available on Android, but you can have mindfulness guided meditation for walking, a guided meditation for doing your work, all sorts of stuff. So, so those were the key action steps and takeaways. Now, Liz, how do people find out more about you and your book? And is there anything else you'd like to share with us? If anyone wants to find out anything more about me, (laughs) there's lots (laughs) of stuff out there already. Um, I know my book is called If At First You Don't Conceive and Mm -hmm. it's available online at any of the big retailers or in any good bookstore. You can also get it, I think, at the big discount department stores like Big Dub and Kmart. So it's And it's available on Amazon as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's fairly readily available. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well, we'll link to that book in the show notes of this episode, which you will be able to access at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 162 and you can buy the book through there or you can just head over to amazon.com and type in if at first you don't conceive now there is another book i believe with the same title so please type in if at first you don't conceive and then liz ellis spelt l-i-z-e-l-l-i-s that's true the other one isn't as funny as mine (laughs) okay (laughs) very serious well liz it was a real pleasure having you on the show and i just want to thank you for sharing these valuable insights with our audience. You really are a true champion because to me, a true champion makes something valuable out of a difficult experience they've had. And you've done that with your IVF journey. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Thank you, Ash. 
Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 